You're listening to the Clon Bikecast, your one-stop shop for all things Clonakilty Bicycle Festival and beyond. Today I'm speaking with Damien Otuma, longtime cycle advocate based in Dublin, who sits on the board for the European Cycling Federation and also is our national cycling coordinator. I spoke to Damien about how our groups can work together and become part of the larger network. Damien starts by recalling his earliest memories of cycling. My brother, he's a great uh, writer, and um, he won an essay competition when he was a teenager with the Evening Press, and he won a lovely baby blue-coloured Rally Nova, which is like a Triumph 20, 20 20-inch wheels. And I used to share, I used to share it with my mother, and my mum's sister used to live around the corner, half a mile away from her house, and she used to cycle up to her sister's, and when she wasn't using it, I would uh, strip off the mud guards, the chain guard, the back carrier, and turn into a BMX bandit with it because my friends had BMXs at the time and it was um, a great adventure vehicle for extending my reach beyond walking distance from the house. So my, my earliest memories are hanging out with friends, racing, getting up, getting into trouble, getting chases, hanging out and generally having fun uh, all around South Dublin. The, the Dublin mountains were quite near where I grew up, so it was easy. You could get up the mountains in, in 20 minutes. Amazing. Lots of adventures. So you would actually strip it down to make it into a BMX and then put it back together again for your mom? Yeah, my mom would kind of freak out when she saw the state of it. It was um, <laughs> completely covered in mud. There was dents in the rims. Um, there was, you know, pulling skids was a big, pulling skids is a big thing when you're um, eight years of age or nine. And um, I used to have to stick it back together again regularly, put the, put the mud guards back on, uh, the chain guard, the back carrier. So I got fairly handy at fixing bikes just through uh, reassembling the bicycle from, from my mother. That's like commitment to the cause from an early age. Yeah, I got into. I just loved. <laughs> I loved the, uh, I suppose, the tactile nature of fixing things and uh, the mental satisfaction of being able to, you know, fix a puncture and, uh, you know, reassemble a chain and knock dints out of rims that were, uh, you know, put out of shape when you hit a hit a hit a curb at thirty miles an hour. You know, so. We have all that ahead of us now. Ari's just started on two pedals. He's he's now he can start and stop by himself, which is like he's flying it now. It's amazing to watch. Um, you had for a while there. You had a, a bike gang too that used to do adventuring. Can you tell us a, maybe a memory of a when you were a bit older? Um, what it was like cycling maybe around Dublin or adventures you went on? Yeah, well, lots of adventures around Dublin. Probably my favorite memory fa- favorite memory is going down to the Burren with some close friends, Celine and Jane and Ken, who I'm still good friends with. And we had a little gang called the Spicicles. And um, we did a lot of very long days on the bike, but very, very low mileage. So there was lots of jumper stops, map stops, uh, stop to change rain gear, uh, ice creams, random pints of Guinness. And we wouldn't really do, we wouldn't clock up a lot of mileage. But we had loads of fun, loads of hanging out, um, you know, stopping off to investigate castles, swims. And it was, it was really just hanging out with friends and using the bicycle as a, as a, as a vehicle to carry all of our random gadgets. So did you take the train then across? Yeah, we took the train, took the train to Galway and then we cycled from Galway um down into North County Clare and then worked our way into the Burren. And then I think the following year we went to we got the train to Westport and then we cycled over to Ackle Island and this was before the Great Western Greenway and any any greenways. And then another year we got the boat over to uh, Brittany in the north of France. 
and we cycled around Brittany for a week, eating lots of pan chocolates and artichokes and camping and hanging out. So that's my favourite place. That's I love that. We've done a lot of that. Yeah, too. the food was lovely. Uh, so, no, nice cider, nice food, hanging out, and um, yeah, just just having un, just having relaxed, unworried times. So they were great. Have you done any cycle racing? I don't know about that about you. Have you done any sport cycling ever? Yeah, I did, yeah, I was big into. I got the mountain biking bug. It's say in the mid nineteen nineties, and I got really heavily into it. And um, I think I got sixth in the national championships one year, senior level. And Very good. That was my best result. And then I discovered the joys of um, the, the nighttime economy and uh, <laughs> hanging out. So um, I went to the States. I think I did it seriously for two years. Then I went to the States for a summer where I worked in a bike shop. And I completely missed the racing season but discovered other dimensions of cycling and bikes. And I worked in, in Cape Cod in a bike shop for a summer uh, where I met, I, met a lot of, lot of, I met a lot of Irish students over there and you know became friends with them and, and that's all. And I suppose I'm trying to remember how we first met. I, I know you came down, I believe it might've been the first or if not the second Clon Bike Fest um, to come and speak with the gang of us. I'm not sure if that's just because we looked you up or because we were already in touch with cyclist.ie. But cyclist.ie, if you could tell us a bit about that, it's the national network for cycle advocacy. And and what do you do with them? Can you tell us a little bit more about cyclist.ie? So cyclist.ie, it came into being in 2008. So at that stage, there was already, um, you know, the main city groups around the country. There was a Dublin Cycling Campaign, Cork, Galway, Maynooth, Skerries, Waterford, and we'd tried a few times to get the kind of network working collaboratively on different projects, but just for one reason or another, it didn't, it didn't uh, happen. So in 2008, the network formed and effectively it was to be a vehicle to advocate at a national level for more funding and cycling. And at the time, the government, the Department of Transport was producing the National Cycling Policy Framework, which I was working on in a separate capacity. But then the, the different cycling campaign groups got together so that they were able to send in one single combined really strong submission into the government rather than sending in half a dozen partially overlapping submissions, you know, where there, where there would be duplication. It just makes sense to pool, to pool our ideas and expertise. And that was back in 2008. And now, um, as you're saying, you're the vice, you're the vice chair on the, on the board of, for the European Cycling Federation. Did, which came first then? Was that the cyclist.ie first? Yeah, so... So just to give your listeners a bit of background, the European Cyclist Federation has been around since 1983, and that's a federation of, of the different cycling groups around Europe. So it would have been formed, you know, by the, the Dutch Cyclist Union, the ADFC in Germany, the Danish Cyclist Federation, and I suppose some, some of the bigger groups got together, the Swiss group as well, and then over the years, Dublin Cycling Campaign connected into them, and then when Cyclist.ie kind of formed as a national body, we became the member for Ireland of the ECF. So since 26, I've been going to the AGM of the European Cyclist Federation for maybe 10 years, and I'm, I've been on the board uh, since 2016. Wow, and, yeah. And it, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. The ECF is trying to do at a European level what Cyclist.ie is doing at a, at, a, at, a, at a national level. So it interacts with the different European institutions, the, uh, the European Commission, the European Parliament, the Council of Ministers, and really is trying to push cycling up the agenda as a normal part of everyday transport but also you've probably heard of the Eurovelo long distance routes 
we have two, yeah. two of them in Ireland. So the Eurovelo would be one of the ECF's main projects. And the idea is that there will be long distance um, tourism bicycle routes all over Europe. So they're, they're, they're two of the projects ECF is working on, but it would also work on things like bikes and trains on Europe. And then um, the general vehicle regulation so as to bring in intelligent speed assistance on, on cars so that cars are safer. So just a lot of um, fairly dry bureaucratic work behind the scenes that individuals and countries can't do because there simply isn't time. So you pool that expertise and these very smart um, advocates based in Brussels in the ECF offices, they intersect with all of the different uh, European processes so that the bicycle is recognised at a European level and that there's proper funding for cycling as well at a European level. Right, and that's, I think, what I want to talk to you about, because you seem to be, I've just got this vision of a, a bike wheel in my head, you know, with a with the hub in the middle and all the spokes going out, and just the importance of, you know, we're all, there's so many of us, I think, in our little corners, especially in maybe, in, maybe more so in the regional areas of Ireland, where we're trying, um, we're in a lot of ways trying to reinvent the wheel. We might not be connected to study, and we probably aren't, um, familiar how we fit into the larger picture and um, maybe we get a little bit downtrodden by what's happening on a local level so I wanted to just ask you a bit about um, you know networks in Ireland that exist aside from cyclist.ie obviously that uh, other networks people can plug into also cyclist.ie how people can plug into that and other networks that we have that we might be able to take advantage of and work together to just lighten the load for volunteers in in rural Ireland. Yeah, well, I'll start with cyclist.e. So we have around 20 groups at this stage, and it's a mixture of the bigger urban groups. So, you know, Cork, Galway, uh, Dublin, uh, Waterford, Kilkenny. Um, then there are other groups which are, you know, from, from smaller towns. So just in the last couple of weeks, a new group, Navin Cycling Initiative, has emerged. Um, you know, the smaller groups in Skerries, Maynooth, um, Sligo. And and then in addition to that, there are greenway groups. So the Great Southern Trail in um, in West Limerick in Kerry. Uh, there's a Dingo Greenways group. There's the Wee Greenway group in Donegal. So that's another kind of strand. Um, there's the bicycle festivals, which you're at the very heart of Allison. And uh, there's also the Kerry Kerry Cycling Festival, uh, Lead from Cycling Festival. So that's almost uh, another strand of cyclist.ie. And um, then there's additional groups like Love Thirty which is its own network looking for lower speed limits in Irish towns and cities. And then there's the Cycling Without Age network. Um, Clara Clark, based in Dublin, is the, is the coordinating point for that. And that network is also part of Cyclist.e. So Cyclist.e, it's really, a, it's a federation of the different groups who are trying to renormalize everyday cycling. But within that broad network, there are different strands focusing on different things, whether it's speeds or greenways or festivals. But ultimately, we all share the same vision of making cy cycling safe and inclusive for all ages and abilities. So th there's lots happening. So the Cyclist.ie website is a good place to start. And there's a map there where you can see uh, which groups, you know, which groups are campaigning in the country. And it's, it's on my to-do list to update that map because we've had quite a few new groups join in the last. Yeah, we're in the midst of trying to start up our, our regional group to connect um, like you were saying, basically that happened on a national level when Cyclist.ie formed to connect up the regional groups because we really have different issues again and we're much smaller. Generally, our, our volunteer groups are much smaller as well. So it's just another way of having together. I was going to say one of the things that took us a really long time to realize about Cyclist.ie is when you are a member, you, you actually 
you're insured for your activities, which is a massive bonus, especially for small groups. And we were running, I think we were running about 350 euros a year and then went up again to 450 a year. And we ended up just saying, you know what, we're not going to bother with insurance. And then all of a sudden we found out for a hundred euros a year, as a member of Cyclist Study, we're, we're covered for all our events. Um, we're covered for even some, some training that we do, a bit of work that we do in the workshop. So it's a great organization because there's some, there's some umbrella, um, umbrella benefits like that that actually all the members can take advantage of even little things like the zoom account that we can use from time to time to host meetings yeah 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 and i mean i suppose that the main the main benefits are connecting with other advocates around the country who are also trying to engage with the local authorities you're tapping into expertise you're getting moral support and you know you're part of a bigger family all of whom is is kind of pushing in the same direction so but the insurance about- is an important one what, who would be the main pedestrian networks? Because I think on a rural level, it's really important for us to club together in towns. Is there a national, is it a national pedestrian network? Yeah, there's the Irish pedestrian network, which has really um, come into being in the last, um, the last couple of years. And Eilish is the, Eilish Drake is the contact there. Um, that's a newer network compared to cyclist.ie. I think it's only re- it's really only crystallised in the last two or three years, but they've done some terrific events in uh, Cork and Limerick in particular. So definitely worth checking them out. And then the other one I mentioned is Love30. You know, it's a member organisation of cyclist.ie, but it's a, ne- it's a network itself of campaigners who are looking to just lower the speed limits in built-up areas, which makes it, you know, much safer, um, it's it's more child friendly, etc. And they would have good they would have good connections then with the group Twenties Plenty in the UK. Rod King was the founder of that, uh, maybe tw- at least tw- twenty years ago. There are also some. There's a few small, uh, maybe newer movements. I shouldn't say smaller, but like um, the more livable city, um, safer streets, school streets, those kind of groups. They're, are they mostly quite new? They've come out. In the yeah, last they're they're years. quite they're quite new. I mean, they're crystallising at the moment. You know, there's groups uh, hashtag safer streets, and that's re- again, it's about emphasising the the social livability con- conviviality function of streets as opposed to the traditional engineering approach, which is seeing a street almost as a sewer for motor vehicles. It's all about throughput, vehicles per per hour, you know. So it's a more holistic um, understanding of what a street is about and emphasising its social dimensions, not just its uh, throughput dimensions. Great, thanks. Um, Just wondering, over all your years working in bike advocacy, can you think of some, maybe some campaigns that you could just share that might have worked better than others yeah um well maybe maybe just to go back maybe just to go back in time a little bit um dublin cycling campaign was founded back in 1993 and really the first 10 years were 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 really difficult i mean there was so many tragedies there was so many cycle fatalities nationally during that period i mean there was over 40 cyclists per annum killed in the late 80s early 1990s and over 10 in dublin and a lot of those were related to heavy goods vehicles and there was there was very little we could do because the, the standard answer from the council at the time was that, look, nothing can happen until the port tunnel is opened. And the port tunnel, which took all the heavy goods vehicles from Dublin Port out towards the M50 on the north side, that didn't open until 2006. So up until that opened, the standard answer was, sorry, there's nothing we can do. You're just going to have to put up with all of this death and misery 
until the port tunnel opens. And it was enormously frustrating. So I think during that period, it was, it was really about building up the community of campaigners. It was raising awareness. It was street protests. So I think street protests were an early part of our armory of um you know of our campaigning instruments to, to raise awareness and i think that was that was that was really really important um the i mean the other the other campaign and it was controversial for a long time was um it was to get rid of the of the regulation which required cyclists to use cycle tracks where they were provided it was called the mandatory use statutory instrument it was introduced in 1998 and it meant that wherever there was a cycle track provided cyclists were mandated by law to use it. And this was enormously divisive because some campaigners didn't want additional cycle tracks because a lot of them were awful, the design standards were poor, you lost priority at side roads. Whilst, whereas other campaigners still were going, no, 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 we want cycle networks, we want, we want uh, more cycle tracks. And it was very, and that was one of the reasons it was hard to build a union of cycling groups around the country because there was this division between wanting cycle tracks and not wanting you know, particularly really badly designed ones. And, and it took us 12 years to get that piece, that to get that regulation taken off the statutory books. And it was in 2012 when Leo Varadkar was Minister for Transport and it finally went. And at that point, we could all go, great, look, let's have more cycle lanes, preferably higher quality, but it, it means we don't have to use the awful, really badly designed ones which aren't maintained. So that's a very roundabout way of saying that we put a huge amount of energy into trying to change one tiny piece of legislation and it was exhausting we met every single minister of transport between you know from the late 90s until the early two until 2012 every single new minister that came into office we would meet them in the offices on Kildare Street we would you know set out our stall we would explain what the problems were and eventually we got rid of it so that meant it was much easier then for cycling advocacy organizations to collaborate because there wasn't this annoying piece of legislation which was like a thorn a thorn in her side you know so that's yeah it's amazing the amount of energy that can go into something like that something so small but it, it made a big difference i think after that it was either the relationships between different groups was much easier um i mean another important intervention it's not it's not a kind of discrete campaign as such but it's really um engaging with the structures of the local authorities so you're probably aware that every local authority in ireland has these strategic policy committees so on the one side you have local area committees which have a geographical way of organizing the work on the other hand you have these strategic policy committees and there's one on transportation and I, I think it was around the year 2000 Dublin City Council set up the transport SPC and there was 10 councillors five outside bodies and Dublin Cycling Campaign managed to get one of those spaces and I was on the SPC for the first year or two so I think getting into those structures they're quite boring initially to get your heads around how they work but it means you have a permanent dialogue with the engineers with the city manager with the other councillors so they're not just you're, you're not just engaging with them by by email or you know in cranky exchanges you're talking to them on a regular basis you can get items put on the agenda you know what is the budget for cycling in year x how many how many bicycle stands have been installed in year Y? You can start constructively engaging with the council. It raises the profile of issues and it kind of professionalises you as a campaign. So that, that, that was really important, I think, for, for Dublin Cycling Campaign and then other groups. And that was Dublin. Is that, does that exist? Is that same relationship in other cities? I know we don't have that locally. Yeah, so I, I, every local authority in Ireland has these strategic policy committees and sometimes it's possible to get a cycling campaigning representative 
you know, directly uh, elected or appointed to the committee. And in some cases, uh, the cycling campaign groups need to go through the, the public participation network, which is like a collective of um, different voluntary community groups. And then they elect a representative to go on to maybe the transportation strategic policy committee and the environment one and the housing one. So it's a slightly more circuitous way to influence policy and thinking. But that's the system we have at the moment. So in some cases... In some cases, we have uh, direct representation on the SPC, and in other cases, we go through this public participation network. So you, you need a little bit of patience to navigate all this bureaucracy. And um, we have some fabulous people in the campaign, particularly retired people. They have a little bit more time. They have a lifetime, particularly ex-public servants, of you know dealing with labyrinthine bureaucratic structures, and they're good at um, you know they're, they're good at engaging that, and they're patient. So you know it's been really great to have you know some very energetic retired people in the campaign really since since the get-go it's been great this is what i'm this is one of my main reasons for doing this podcast is to, for me to try to learn and get my head around the, the bureaucracy involved because i am generally quite an impatient person and when i want to do something and when i see something that seems to be a no-brainer i just get i get frustrated way too easily and that's what i think it's really important and what i want to talk to you about is about creating that network because we don't all need to have the same strengths either and you can find people who are who have a background and understand the systems a bit better but I think it's important for everybody getting into advocacy um, just has a, a broad idea of what's out there to avoid basically reinventing the wheel and to avoid um, feeling like you're alone in a corner in your own little corner fighting your own battle could you say a bit more about, sorry, about the PPN network, just in case people, like, how would you, how would a group sign up to the PPN network or what, what, what what's the benefit of that? Yeah, well, again, I, I would say contact cyclist.ie and we can give you more specific details. And we have a few people. I mean, Mairead Forsyth, she's a member of Dublin Cycling Campaign and Love 30. And she engages very closely with South Dublin County Council, one of the four Dublin local authorities via the uh, public participation network. And she would be able to give good advice on how you use that structure to advance cycling issues. So if you have any questions on anything that comes up, just go on to the cyclist.ie website and you can contact the National Cycling Coordinator, which is myself. And if I don't have the answer myself, I will, um, I will pass it on to, to someone, who, someone who does. You're listening to the Clon Bikecast, your one-stop shop for all things Clonakilty Bicycle Festival and beyond. Today, Alison's talking to Damien Otuma, the National Cycling Coordinator, about ways that we can link together to create safer, more cyclable streets. What, what do you think the steps, the logical steps are for starting an advocacy group to try to get better infrastructure for safer cycling and, and, and walking in the, their towns or areas? Um, okay, I've narrowed it down to three things. I think if, if you live in a town and you're concerned by the lack of cycling infrastructure, the first thing to do, I think, is just, you know, have a chat with a few different family and friends. Bounce ideas, bounce ideas off them. Um, consider, you know, so I, I think m make a list of your top 10 things you would say you were in charge of the town. If, say, you worked in the county council and you had unlimited powers to do what you wanted, you know, almost like a thought experiment. What would you do yourself? Now, it might be sorting out the links, putting in high quality segregated cycle lanes. It might be making the junction safer. It might be reducing speed limits. It could be bike parking. It could be lots of different things. So make your, make your list, first of all. I mean, 
if you have a few different people, why not just set up on Facebook a new group, which was done. I mean, Navin Cycling Initiative, I think, is a very good example where Kevin Corrigan set up a group really quickly. We were exchanging emails. He actually, you know, he heard, he, he we, we came across each other through the Clonacilty Bicycle Festival through the chat uh, at one of the events. He contacted me afterwards. I sent him a list of suggestions. Within a week, he had a Facebook page set up. He had a lovely logo designed, Navin Cycling Initiative. He now is, you know, maybe around 400 uh, Facebook fans. He has written to the council. We gave him a the name of a contact in, in Meath County Council. He has since emailed that person. They have talked to each other. And it turns out that the council, they have various different plans and they're delighted to get support from locals on, on, on different schemes which are going through planning because often the public is very happy to object to things, but it's more difficult to get people to send a letter of support going, I think what you're proposing is really good, but it'll be even better if you uh, tweak jun- you know, the junction X and junction Y and widen the cycle track. So, so I think make a list of what you'd like to see happen in, the, uh, in your town, um, get a group together, form a little Facebook group, contact us, we can, um, we can promote it. And then engage with the council, drop them a line and you can engage with the council. It could be through maybe councillors, you know, but I think often it's, it's worthwhile picking up the phone, asking who's the engineer who, who looks after a particular area or is there an engineer, is there a cycling officer, for example, in the council as well? And if there is, give her a ring or give him a ring and have a chat about it's. I suppose it's un- information is power. It's understanding what's happening. Maybe the development plan, which is like the blueprint for how development will happen in your local authority area over the next five years. Maybe the development plan is up for renewal and it'll be a good time to have a little um, objective inserted in there, you know, to grow cycling, you know, to, to increase cycling by 200% over the next five years, to build a high quality cycle network. So you can get objectives inscribed into your development plan that legitimizes the idea, the ideas further. Then when budgets are being arranged, you can, you, the council can get money for those to align with those objectives and then you can engage through your strategic policy committee or through your local committee, talk to your councillors, you know, build up a good relationship with the engineers. So there's a whole, there's a multiplicity of ways you can engage with your council. And over the years, our general approach is to do it constructively through the structures. But then if absolutely nothing is happening, then sometimes you, you go back to having street protests to raise awareness about the inaction within the council. So it's having, the, it's having this array of different uh, instruments you can use to to uh, move things forward. That's and a what long about, uh, Yeah, I've, that's, I'm just making a to-do list here as I'm listening. Um, what about um, other government organisations, like I'm thinking about green schools? Is there things that kind of exist in most towns? I don't know if there's other ones that people could plug into and connect in. Yeah, so Green, green Schools is a great organisation. It's part of Antashka. So it's a non-governmental organisation. It's not a, a governmental organisation, but they, they do brilliant work. Um, their main offices are in, in Dublin near Christchurch, but they would have uh, representatives working pretty much all around the country, engaging with uh, mainly the primary schools, but also the secondary schools. And through the schools, they would um, you know look at energy and water and biodiversity and global citizenship and transport is one of the themes they they engage with and that's you know that they would look at things like carpooling encouraging walking to schools doing walkability audits cycle training um, it would connect into the cycle buses which are really brilliant in Galway in particular and in Limerick and I know there's there's some in Dublin as well so green schools definitely worth checking out Antasha Green Schools uh, Jane Hackett is the head of the travel team in there and Alison Phillips 
it's also yeah i was thinking if it would be interesting for groups like ours to get a hold of if we could work with their walkability audits because i would imagine that a lot of the work maybe green schools done does doesn't necessarily get all the way through into plant like into the planners hands for the town to say you know the kids have done this amazing work can we can we actually look at it seriously because they know their school routes and they know how they want to get to school but they can't yeah and I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm slightly unclear myself to be honest you know what the process is between the children yeah. producing the audits and actual changes happening on the ground. So that might be that yeah. might, might be a subject of another podcast to uh, to uh, unpack that one. We'll get Alison Phillips or Jane on. Yeah, uh, great. I I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about um, in terms of people that we should connect in with or um, any support that we should have for new groups? Or I can, might fire away onto my my final question for yeah you. i mean maybe to, maybe talk to some of the new groups i mean i'm particularly impressed with kevin corrigan and avon cycling initiative they have literally gone from nothing to having a a very you know very clearly thought through uh vision and wish list of what they want to see within the space of a month so um and i know there's a, a chap and thurlis contacted me as well thurlis in county tipperary and there is a consultation afoot around maybe changing the center of thurlis and this person is looking to get a group going. So it may, it may be interesting to talk to someone who's just, you know, just, just got going and um, they might give you another useful perspective. Great. Um, so I suppose I was also, I didn't mention before, but are there any campaigns that you've seen that have gone just totally not the way they should have gone and anything that you would maybe advise us to avoid when we're doing cycling advocacy? Um. Look, I think cycling advocacy, there's an experimental dimension to it. And of course, some campaigns aren't going to work. I mean, it took us 12 years to change that particular piece of legislation I mentioned a few minutes ago on the mandatory use of cycle tracks. I mean, that that didn't happen overnight. And there was literally years of writing letters into the Irish Times about this and speaking about it on the radio. And you were ignored for years. So sometimes, sometimes you need the wind behind you. You need a minister who gets you. You need, um, you know, you need a couple of things converging. You need public support. You need a minister who, who gets it. You need a few people in the campaign who are savvy about, you know, writing to particular officials. And you build up relationships with officials over, over years. That doesn't happen overnight. So you'll do plenty of campaigns which won't work. And that's just the, the nature of campaigning and advocacy and activism. And it's a little bit frustrating. But I think if you're kind of having fun along the way, it's not a waste of time then because you've made friends along the way, you've made connections, you've built community, you've had fun, you've had events, you've had bicycle Christmas parties, you've gone to festivals together, you've had fun. So think of campaigning as another dimension of your social life. So it's almost a social activity which has a a, 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 a positive social outcome as well. So absolutely you'll have campaigns which won't work, but you just need to maybe maybe leave it for a while and then come at it from a different angle. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's perfect. I mean, that's what we're used to doing here. We we're we're very comfortable in the social aspect and taking people out cycling. Um, one of the things we're really obviously trying to do the whole time is to create, you know, create a community, get more people on the bikes. We're always against this chicken and egg. People don't want to cycle because they don't think it's safe. Um, you know, but we're not going to get the infrastructure until they see people on bikes. So we try to run events and we get you know if we get thirty 
30 people on bikes together, you can kind of create this little mini greenway effect. Everybody feels safe because you're cycling in a pack. The cars have to slow down because you're in a group and everybody has a lot of fun and they see the potential of what it could be. Um, we're still trying to get people, you know, more people on the road. So that's like building a community locally is the other thing we're trying to to, to learn more about how to get more people comfortable on bikes and how to create spaces where people can feel comfortable going out together. And I think one thing is once you're, once you're in a group, also cycling doesn't seem, if you cycle 20 kilometers and you're with five people, it seems a lot shorter than when you're trying to cycle on your yes. own and the cars are whizzing by. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been a big one for us. Very much. I mean, connecting into, I mean, in the early years in Dublin cycling campaign, when we were having so much difficulty making progress infrastructurally, we had, uh, I mean, we had great fun participation in the St. Patrick's Day Parade and we'd spend maybe three or four months designing floats. And um, I mean, one year we got a car and we got angle grinders and we cut the engine out and then we got all the cyclists dressed up as angels. We pulled the car into town, which is about five or six kilometres. And then we pulled the car through, you know, the, the streets of Dublin in the parade. And we, I was studying geology at the time and I got a loan of about 30 rock hammers and we all smashed the car to bits as we went through the city. And it was great crack. And then we all went to the pub afterwards for the rest of the day. And we'd, we'd loads of fun. And that was kind of continually, you're building up friendships and trust and collegiality and crack. And that stands to you then when you, when you have to do all the boring stuff of writing endless letters to the council, to the Department of Transport, the Road Safety Authority, Transport Infrastructure Ireland. All the boring stuff is easier when you have a kind of network of friends around you. Great. So my last question for you, Damien, um, just to talk about the lockdown that we just had, um, there have been, for us anyway, and I, I know it's been the same basically all across Europe, and it seems almost all, all the way around the world, there's been just so many people, more, um, more people out on bikes, um, especially around here, we've seen a lot more families, a lot more younger people that you wouldn't have seen before. Do you think it's possible for this phenomenon to, to continue post lockdown? You, we're already seeing a decrease in the numbers as the cars increase. Um, and what changes do you see as essential in towns and cities for this to happen? Okay, a few, few different questions there. Look, I think we're in, we're in a really interesting phase at the moment because the system is in shock. People are developing new mobility habits. They're trying bicycles out for the first time. I think campaigners have very cleverly um, sought to get councils to reallocate more space for pedestrians, for people cycling, you know, social guarantee, social distancing. And this is happening. I mean, it's happened, I suppose, most rap most rapidly in, in Dublin, where Dublin City Council published their COVID, uh, COVID mobility plan. And we're seeing, you know, stuff that we've been campaigning on literally since the mid-1990s to get high-quality contraflow routes on Nassau Street near Trinity College. That went in, in in the space of a week or two. It was just astonishing to see it after no movement and 25 years of excuses from the council. So that was really, really exciting. Um, I think that's good. I mean, it's a great, it's, it's, a, it's a window of opportunity for local campaign groups to engage with their, their councils at the moment. So, and, and this isn't just an Irish phenomenon. All over Europe, cities are reallocating space uh, for walking and cycling. So there's an amazing, there's an amazing international momentum there behind um, reallocating space for cycling. I mean, the other thing that's happening at a European level is that the European Commission published its draft um, COVID recovery package and in that there's 20 billion euro for mobility. Now that covers not just cycling, it covers electric car charging infrastructure, it covers micro mobility, it covers a lot of things. But the European Cyclist Federation has been pushing for 5 billion 
for a subsidy for e-bikes and then further investment for, um, you know, for COVID cycling routes, etc. So there's an amazing momentum at the moment between, um, you know, the European Green Deal and the climate change trajectory of encouraging sustainable transport and this COVID recovery um, pressure as well, as well as additional campaigning. So it's actually the most exciting time. It's the most exciting time, I think, ever to be involved in cycling campaigning and advocacy because change is happening at the moment. And I think people who've only just got involved in, in campaigning, I, I don't think they would realise how, how, uh, how depressing it was for so many years with so little happening. There was so little movement for so long because if you think about it in Ireland from the 1950s and 60s onwards, the future was all about automobility. You know, the, the, the bicycle was a vehicle from the past. The future wasn't going to involve bicycles at all. The future involved ever bigger inner highway schemes in cities and everyone driving everywhere, free flow, uh, cheap fuel. And even with the oil crisis in the 70s, that didn't massively dampen it. And right through the 80s and into the early 90s, that was still the vision of transportation in Ireland. And it was only in the, in the 90s that the paradigm began to shift towards sustainable transport. Uh, but then in reality, it was only, it's only more recently the budgets are beginning to shift. And the programme for government at the moment is particularly exciting, where £360 million per annum is allocated for walking and cycling. So I would advise all of your readers to Google uh, Programme for Government. And I think it's around page 10. Look for uh, transportation. And it's five pages of really exciting stuff. So we, we've definitely uh, turned a corner in the last in the last couple of months. Great. So I'm like I am filled with hope. With COVID, I think showed us what is possible, and I am kind of I'm filled with hope right now. And I'm you know we're we're all trying to do our bit. So it's great to hear you say that 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 is you know it's 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 actually coming from a place of in your experience. It, this is a really exciting time for cycle advocacy in Ireland and around Europe. It really is, and there's new group. There's new groups popping up. Um, you know, your own group is doing brilliant stuff on the, you know, making it fun and, and festive and family friendly, which is really important. And the different groups are coming together. You know, more joining cyclist.e, which itself is becoming a stronger entity. You know, we have a strategic partnership with Antashka. We're connected in well with Cycling Ireland as well. Uh, there's the Irish Pedestrian Network. There's Love Thirty. There's the uh, public health bodies, you know, the Irish Heart Foundation, the Irish Cancer Society, uh, the public health bodies. So now suddenly it isn't just one small local group which is looking for change. There's an alliance of different groups and you're much stronger when you're part of a national and indeed international alliance. Uh, when you're trying to lobby different ministers, you suddenly you're representing hundreds and thousands of people, if not millions of people who want, you know, safe convivial spaces as opposed to a small number who want a particular cycling route. So it's really exciting on multiple fronts, Alison. You've been listening to the Clon Bikecast with me, Alison Roberts. Big thanks today to Damien Otuma, our special guest, and as always, my co-host, Justin Grounds, who's behind the scenes doing all the editing and music. See you next week.